Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 146 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we revisited the current state of speech recognition as part of our interest in taking a fresh look at technologies from the past that might have a new life today. In this episode, we wanted to talk about my recent visit to Legal Tech New York 2015, the big technology show and conference, and also the show that uh, launches the Legal Tech year. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we're going to recap Legal Tech 2015 uh, with me as the interviewer. In our second segment, we check in on the current state of smartwatches and the growing anticipation for the Apple Watch. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our first topic, and that's Legal Tech New York. Every year at the end of January, beginning of February, the legal technology world braves the elements uh, to travel to New York for a legal tech conference. And I think this year was no exception as far as the weather was concerned. I wasn't able to make it this year, but Dennis did go for the part of the conference. Um, since I'm kind of, as you can tell from my voice, a little bit under the weather this week, we thought that I would serve as interviewer uh, to conserve my voice and let Dennis tell us about his legal tech experience. Uh, Dennis, uh, <laughs> and when speaking of the winter weather, how, uh, how did the winter weather on the East Coast, did it have any effect on your visit or I guess anybody else's visit to legal tech? Oh, it really threw a monkey wrench into things, and I was planning to get there on uh, uh, on Monday morning before the conference started on Tuesday, I ended up walking into my hotel in New York at 10 p.m. on Tuesday evening after five of my flights were canceled to New York. And that was a pretty common theme. There were a lot of people who had trouble getting out there and, and probably more talk than usual of uh, Legal Tech New York becoming something like, say, uh, Legal Tech Phoenix or Orlando. <laughs> so... <sighs> So for those listeners who may not know a lot about legal tech, um, what is, in your opinion, makes legal tech unique as a technology conference? What makes it different from, say, ABA Tech Show or ILTA? What I like about Legal Tech New York is um, it's it's huge. There's tons tons of people. Uh, American Lawyer Media puts it on, and uh, I, I think it's a it's a great show to kind of see what's new and happening in uh, in legal tech. It's a great networking show, and the people really come out. So you recognize a lot of people. A lot of the vendors have uh, the top executives or the presidents of the company there, and um, just a lot, you know, a lot happening. Uh, so it's a great place to see what's you know what products are out there. Uh, so it. 
in a lot of ways, the focus to me is always more on the exhibit hall than than the the sessions. Uh, whereas opposed to the ABA Tech Show, I would say the the focus is is very much on the the sessions, the education, the the lawyer focus, as opposed to say I would say, legal tech has a, a great industry focus, and and also I think that that legal tech New York tends to be a, a bit more big firm, and then it will I know we'll talk about this, but heavy emphasis on e-discovery. So then I would say maybe a tech show, uh, more lawyer-focused, education-focused, uh, really practical about what you could actually do with technology. ILTA, I, to me, much more advanced tech, uh, focus a, a bit more on the IT directors. And uh, uh, the ILTA one has its, uh, has sort of this family feeling to it, you know, that, uh, that I think is interesting, but definitely advanced tech and uh, with the IT people in mind, so that's that's sort of the difference I think at Legal Tech New York for me. In the even in the short period of time there, I I got to talk to and meet a, a ton of people and see a, a lot of new products and things that were going on. Well, you know, and that's been always my impression of Legal Tech is how how big it is, how many people are there, and in such a small location for the number of people that are there it just seems like it could do better in a in a bigger in a bigger location uh, you you mentioned before that uh, that legal tech has always been very heavy on e-discovery as a topic uh, in, in the years that I've gone everywhere you turn there are just dozens of e-discovery vendors all over the place uh, there's lots of sessions on e-discovery topics predictive coding in past years has been hot not sure if it was hot this year uh, tell me about e-discovery at, at Legal Tech this year. Was it the same kind of crazy mess that it always is? You know, it was it was pretty wild because uh, I, I went with with some of my my work colleagues, and they were all commenting like everywhere they turned, they felt there were e-discovery vendors. I know our friend Joanna Forche did. Uh, I, I didn't see it, but I understand she did a. Uh, an analysis of the vendors, and it was something like fifty four percent, you know, fit the e discovery category. Um, but it it certainly felt like it was even a bigger uh, percentage than that. And you sort of saw. I think there's a, a evolution, and I suspect we'll t- we'll talk about this on a, a future episode time that uh, of information governance of. There's certainly a movement toward that. So you see more companies talking about being in that space, records management. I think that the predictive coding is, is seems like that's diminished in the sense that, uh, you know, TAR is the big word. So this technology-assisted review, which I don't know, maybe is a bigger category that predictive coding fits in. But a lot of sessions on on e-discovery, some of the, the judges were real known in that that field around a lot of a lot of the companies. Uh, my friend John Tradenic at Catalyst Systems uh, handed me his his new book about uh, technology assisted uh, review. So uh, there's a, I always think there's a lot of cool things going on there in terms of you know the new technologies as they relate to e-discovery. Although you know over the years I've gotten kind of further away from e-discovery as as something that. I'm actually involved into any extent at all. 
Yeah, I'm glad to see that uh, the e-discovery people have finally caught up to the rest of us uh, and discovered information governance. Uh, it's something that we've been talking about for four or five years now as being kind of the uh, the important underlying foundation of e-discovery, and I'm glad to see that, that they're finally uh, catching up to that. Um, you know, Legal Tech, like you said, is is the first legal technology conference of the year usually. Because it's the first conference, it's also usually the first opportunity that vendors have to announce new products or services. And I, I think you said that you saw lots of new products or services. Which, uh, what new products or services uh, stood out for you? Well, you know, I was talking uh, with with. Bob Ambrogi, who also has a podcast on Legal Talk Network, um, who felt that there weren't as many new product announcements this year as in in typical years. So I get the sense of of things being evolutionary. And then I was also looking at some specific things of sort of seeing some new generations of things. There were some interesting uh, collaboration tools, I thought. But I, I can't really say there's there's a lot that kind of jumped out at me. But again, I, I had planned to go for two, basically two days, and I ended up being there for six hours. So it was a it was a run through for me, and and I got the chance to talk to a lot of people. There's this really cool. I probably the thing that I thought was the coolest. New thing I saw was something called uh, from a company that uh, called Sky Analytics that was just apparently just bought by uh, Huron Consulting, and it's a it's a dashboard approach. And and I think Tom, we had dashboard on our you know old technologies needing to be revisited, but I really liked the user interface and the way they had uh, focused on some areas that especially in a law department, you could you could look at outside counsel, spend, uh, compare different firms, identify lawyers, do some budgeting, a lot of analytics. But the way it was, the user interface, I thought was really great. It looked like a mobile app and and the the information you could pull out of it uh, looked looked really good. And so, so I think that's, maybe that falls in that area of, you know, data visualization, sort of, so we've done all, you got all this data stuff going on in the back end. It used to be where you would be typing queries and doing all that. Now it's it's more like it, this This is a good example where it looks like a mobile app. You're clicking on buttons. You're, you know, uh, double clicking on things to get more detail. You're seeing a lot of graphs and stuff like that. So that was a really, uh, really interesting tool to me. And I know that other other companies are doing some similar things, but uh, that one I got the pretty good demo on, and I really liked it. We were able to look at, I mean, you could look at different regional things. Uh, so for, you know, a company like MasterCard, where I'm at, it was, it was they could like click on a button and and compare law firms, say, in Europe and stuff like that. So um, that was a really fascinating tool, but uh, I think an example of the genre, but uh, uh, so that that was good. I, but I would say mainly the stuff I was seeing was uh, evolutionary. It seemed like there's a lot, uh, uh, some interest in uh, Microsoft has a new matter management tool that people seem to be less uh, interested in. And also I, um, I, I could see there's definitely interest in like the Office 365 and, and what that meant. So, uh, you know, following legal tech from afar, as I do when I can't make it, I usually try to 
keep up with it on social media and things like that. I, I found that the buzz was much less than most years. I just didn't feel like I got the same uh, level of excitement. And, and some of that was around what I consider to be sort of the lack of product announcements. I didn't catch as many product announcements or, or at least not product announcements that were exciting to me or interesting. So maybe it is one of those quieter, more evolutionary years. But you said something that, that raised another question for me, which was uh, talking about data. In, in past years, or at least in the last couple of years, we started to see the rise of, of big data as a topic at legal technology conferences. Did you notice that uh, at all in any of the sessions or any of the vendors talking about big data this year? You know, I didn't notice it. And again, sort of, I, I didn't really get to, to any sessions. I, I really worked the exhibit floor hard. So I don't I don't think that anything that I saw, people were kind of, you know, positioning themselves in the in the big data field. And, and I think big data means different things to different people anyway. And I, I'm not sure that uh, at any legal conference that you're going to emphasize the big data aspects of what you do. I think that... Um, I mean, I think we've come a long way and that, you know, people are lawyers and are kind of get the whole cloud thing now. I think to take the next step to big data, we're probably looking for another couple of years before people have any level of comfort with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think that legal tech would be the place where we would see it if we were going to see it at any conferences. So let's let's stick with the vendor hall. Um, I I noticed a couple of blog posts, and and then I know you mentioned it um, that there was um, something called Codex from Stanford Law School that I think was part of the vendor hall. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an introduction about what Codex is and what that means? I'm a little fuzzy on on some of the details of of this, although several people explained it to me. But I, this is a cool thing. They took a portion of the exhibit hall and working through Stanford, which is where this this Codex project is at. They identify, and it's the Stanford Center for Legal Informatics. Um, they identified ten basically startup companies um, in the sort of legal, I'll call it legal application space, but that's not totally accurate. Um, and they gave them essentially an aisle in the legal tech uh, exhibit hall. And then you could see them, you could walk around and see them all in one place, talk to, I mean, typically you're talking to the founders of these companies there and get an idea of what's going on that's, that's, that's new and sort of like completely new approaches to things. And I mean, Tom, you know me that I, at Tech Show and at other shows, I, I really like going to like the, the back end of the exhibit hall where people have paid the least amount possible for the booths because some they're just new companies that can't afford the you know all the the fancy stuff but sometimes they're doing really cool things and it's it's new and so this sort of extends that and it it puts some focus on uh on those startup companies and so uh so i think that was cool that i and i think that generated 
some buzz. A lot of I, you know, I ran into a lot of people who said they wanted to to go up and see that area. And when I was in the area, I I ran into you know, like a good number of of our technology friends. Time when just just in that space, and so that was fun. Uh, and there were some a couple of interest interesting things there that and some that people may be familiar with. There's a company called Shake that's doing a, you know doc, document generation. I would call it. Uh, company called Plain Legal that I talked to the founder for a while that was uh, sort of in the the intellectual property area, especially trademarks. And then I, I spent quite a while talking to a, a co-founder of a company called Patent Vector, uh, which to go back to circle back to the big data thing, they put themselves squarely in the big data space, and they're they're using uh, big data analytics to to look at patents with the idea of saying, let's look at the patent system and what you're interested in, and then allow algorithms and the analytics on big data to determine what are the important patents in your area, um, and to help you it and. Uh, you know that that was pretty interesting too. You know, again, somewhat outside of where my expertise is, but I I like the idea of saying. You know, we were talking about the patent lawyers have their own sort of belief about what patents are important, but this is like turning on the data, looking at the connections between things, all that sort of thing. Uh, that you know, their their analytics can come up with another way of saying what's what are important patents in your area. So if you're, um, that's another one of these things where I think that they might be looking to selling to, to law firms, but that that seems like something that uh, the clients themselves would might be interested in and, you know, incorporating into their intellectual property programs. Sure. And it sounds like, though, that there were a number of vendors out there, especially some of these codex vendors uh, that um, were kind of giving something u- new and unique, a little bit different, uh, better flavor for for something interesting in the vendor hall. I, I guess just by hearing you talk, I hear that Legal Tech was a big show, lots of people there, um, lots of uh, interesting topics being discussed, but it doesn't sound to me like it was just a wow show. I mean, can you, uh, to, to, to wrap this segment up, can you kind of give us your feelings in general about it? Was it overwhelming as usual? Did you have a positive effect on you? Um, how would you sum up the Legal Tech experience, at least as you experienced it this year? I mean, it's totally positive. I think, think that probably some of the lack of, of buzz or energy, maybe the fact that people were just totally worn out from trying to get to New York. I mean, it was a lot of people had spent, you know, uh, I don't know if you followed our uh, Ben Shore on Facebook on his ordeal to get there, yeah. and he where he stayed overnight in Detroit. They lost his bags, like almost everything you can imagine going wrong. And he arrived at the hotel uh, like thirty nine minutes before he was scheduled to speak. You know, so I think he had a lot of people who were just tired from from the travel and then uh things got kind of compressed because i you know i myself missed a a a full day of it so i think uh i think it was good you know for me i i sometimes feel that my experience of conferences these days and i know you get some of this two time is that you 
get a little bit of the reality distortion feel because it seems like a lot of people know me and and you know so I get the chance to run into people and uh, meet them and talk to them and they sort of know you know do we got a couple of people mentioning the podcast and how they listen to it so so that was good um, there was a great blogger event where I got to run into a lot of our friends Kevin O'Keefe and others and then uh, sort of one of the 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 big things about this this legal tech was that that uh, Monica Bay, who's done uh, legal technology news f- for years and is about as well known as anybody can be in this this area, is is retiring from ALM. So uh, this was like her last show, and there was a special party, and you know all these things around her. I did get to congratulate her, although she wouldn't let me. T- come close to her because she had what to me seemed like <laughs> a big case of pneumonia. I mean, she just sounded oh like she, had a ter- <laughs> she just sounded like she had a terrible, terrible cold. But one of the things that the, the cool things there, and, and this is why, you know, you think that these tech shows are about technology, but it's really about people. But one of the cool things that we all talked about was that uh, Thompson Reuters, um, and again, some of our, our friends there, Tom, uh, decided to honor Monica by putting her face up uh, on one of the gigantic Times Square TV screens. Wow. And and then they did it. They took her to dinner and they arranged it so that they were walking by right as her face showed up on the screen (laughs) as a surprise to her. And, I, you know, that's totally cool, you know, and and I think that sort of shows – um, you know how there is that uh, in its own way, there's a that kind of family, you know, we're all, you know, networked and, and we, we start to know each other and we all have that common interest in technology that also, you know, extends to the to the human aspect of it. So uh, very positive. I totally wish I would have had had more time, uh, but glad to say hello to everybody and if, uh, that I did see. And, you know, unfortunately, there's people I missed just because I didn't have enough time. But got me to me. It got the year off to a good start. I'm looking forward to the ABA Tech Show and uh, you know and the the Codex thing. Uh, uh, you know has also ins- inspired me on uh, what might be a potential project coming up that we may be talking about in future podcasts. Well, thanks for the report, Dennis. Uh, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. 
I'm starting to feel the anticipation growing for the Apple Watch, now expected in probably about two months or less. Tom has already been experimenting with smartwatches, and I know, I have no doubt that I'm going to be an early buyer on the Apple Watch, but I've also had some recent experiences that make me very optimistic about wearables. We thought it might be a good time to to check in on the Apple Watch and to talk a bit about smartwatches in general. Tom, do you like what you are wearing now, or are you going to move to the Apple Watch? Well, let's get this out of the way first. I'm not moving to the Apple Watch. And the main reason for that is that you can't have an Apple Watch without an iPhone. And I'm not going back to the iPhone anytime soon. I am still a firmly devoted fan of Android as my phone platform. So there's not much I can do about that. That said, I do like my Android Wear experience. I I mentioned on a previous podcast, I, I bought the Moto 360, which I still think is one of the better Android smartwatches around. I think it has a few warts, but in general, I think it's a nice wearable. What I've noticed the most about wearing a smartwatch is that it considerably reduces my need to check my phone all the time. Uh, Any notification that I would get on the phone now goes directly to the watch. So I can check phone calls, I can check text messages, email, calendar appointments, somebody posts to my social media, anything of that, I get notified and it comes on the watch. And it's really nice to be able to just glance down at my watch rather than pick up the phone. There is something these days that is rude about looking at a phone when you're with other people that looking at your watch seems less obtrusive and less of a problem. And it's something you can just glance at and check and dismiss very quickly. And it's it's nice. It's also nice to see what specific app developers are doing on smartwatches. You know, I use Todoist as my task manager, and I can now set tasks directly on the phone by speaking a few words to it. Um, Two weeks ago when I was traveling, I did something pretty cool, and I used my watch for the first time as my boarding pass. I I know that both American and Delta will give you a watch-sized version of your boarding pass, which is really easy to scan, and and it was actually pretty cool to be able to use. I, I think... These smartwatches are also really good as activity trackers. They're probably not as good as a Fitbit um, or tools that are designed specifically for activity tracking, but I use Google Fit to keep track of steps. I've, I've used the Endomondo app. I know, Dennis, you like that. It's great for all kinds of activities. The one drawback that I have, and I think this is one area that Apple may excel in, is the inability to swap out wristbands. I, I have a nice leather band on my watch, but I really can't wear it when I work out because the sweat's going to stain the leather band. I can tell you this because I already ruined one leather band by working out with it. I'd love to be able to have a sports band that I could swap it out for. But unfortunately, with the Motorola, it's not a simple process to change that out. In fact, Motorola recommends that you uh, use a take it to a jeweler to change the watch band. I think that Apple is going to make it easier to do this, so you could have multiple watch bands. I'm not positive of that, Dennis. You may be able to tell me, but that's really the one drawback that I see to the smartwatches and the wearables. I'm very high on them. I really like my Android device, and I'm really interested to see what Apple's uh, going to do. How about you, Dennis? Well, this kind of relates to your experience with me at a conference or meetings, Tom. I I think that I'm probably notorious for having friends wonder if I ever look at my phone 
when they're trying to to text me or call me when I'm at, at meetings. And so I'm always at a place, I'm sort of focused on talking to who I'm talking to. And then I realize later that somebody's called me and left messages or texted me or something. And, and partly I have two phones who, and my experience with phones is people know me is sort of universally bad. But I what I find is that I have one, my work phone, like sometimes it buzzes, sometimes it doesn't, you know, and I never know what to expect. But what I realized when I was at Legal Tech New York is that to have this on my witch, uh, on my wrist and have the, the vibration happen there and to have this notice I can take a quick look down at, I don't have to fish in my pocket and, if, and I'm probably going to feel that. And so actually, Tom, I think you and others are going to appreciate me wearing a watch because you might be able to track me down and have me, have me get back to you. <laughs> um, and so that was my epiphany was that that in its Itself was going to be a great thing for me. And then, then also, I think, uh, you know, there's that sort of good enough at some other things that, that make it interesting and plus the sort of unknown potential. But so say I'm at Legal Tech New York and I spend the day walking around. I'm kind of curious, like, you know, because I didn't have time to work out. I wonder, like, how many steps I get in, got in that day. Um, so how much activity they, did I get? And if I'm wearing a watch that, that handles that, too, um, that's helpful to me, you know. So, so I think that sort of good enough aspect of it, the notification aspect, and then I think we, you know, the verdict is out, I think, on how how massive or unmassive the reaction will be to the Apple Watch. And I think that's going to relate to, is it a fashion, how fashionable is it? Does it make sense as a wearable? And probably the the concern that people have about the, the battery life is, is another aspect of that. But I, I think that if you can find something like that notification thing, and then the idea that you don't have to pull a phone out of your pocket to do certain things, I think... Yeah, I just think it's. I, I think it could be huge, and and you're all as as you're already reporting. Yeah, and I am. I'm. I'm interested to see my my thing that I'm most interested about the Apple Watch is to see how much they're going to charge for the gold one. I see, I hear that they've already been installing safes in the Apple Store, uh, like jewelry stores now, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, how they do with a five thousand dollar watch uh, that they try to sell and how successful that is. Yes. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, so we've talked on previous podcasts and in other places about how Microsoft has finally brought uh, Word and PowerPoint and Excel to both iOS and Android, and they finally um, brought the rest of the Office suite, or at least the, the, the major parts of the Office suite, uh, in the past two weeks by introducing Outlook. So now if you're an Outlook user, you can download the Outlook app free of charge for both iOS and Android. I've got it on both my phone and my iPad. It works great. It's not incredibly complicated, but you can get to both your email and your calendar. Even better, you can uh, have multiple uh, multiple accounts. You can not only have your Exchange account that's part of uh, Outlook, but you can also put an account from Gmail or Yahoo or other services. And, and then I guess what makes it even better for people who use iOS devices, uh, you can attach a document to an email from Dropbox or from another sharing service, um, which you currently can't do with the Mail app. So uh, I think 
think that is a step up, step ahead of uh, of Apple in, in terms of uh, the ability to attach uh, documents to email. So Outlook app free in both the iOS and Google Play stores. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, you know, another step in the evolution of, of the mainstream programs we use moving to, to mobile. And I think that's really important and significant. So uh, I haven't tried it, but I, I, it's really hard for me to to not see how important that could be. So, Tom, I, uh, before I give you my parting shot, I did want to mention that I, I ran into uh, – to Adam and Trent and Lawrence from Legal Talk Network, and uh, I have uh, my Legal Talk Network T-shirt, which I'm not sure you have yet. And uh, um, just for them, I want to say that it probably would have been nice to have a watermelon on it, but it's uh, just a plain black shirt at the, at the moment. Uh, so keep your eye out for that time next time you see him. I did want to mention, though, as my parting shot, the, the Codex site, Stanford Center for Legal Informatics. Uh, so if you're interested in, in what was happening there at Legal Tech New York and what they're doing in the startup area and the whole idea of uh, venture capital and new legal application startups, uh, I think it's a good starting place uh, to kind of get a feel for what's going on and the, the sort of new approaches to looking at legal uh, using technology, data analytics and, and other things along those lines. Definitely. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to the archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or a topic for an upcoming podcast, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So uh, until the next podcast and while I'm waiting for a my own Legal Talk Network t-shirt, I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.